Good morning. This is a new podcast called Resiliency at Any Age, a podcast about surviving trauma through faith, self-evaluation, and personal change. Every Wednesday at 6 a.m. Thank you for joining us this morning. I am Xenia Williams, your host. Today, we're going to talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, part two. In this episode, we're going to go a little more into the depth of the sick society. We look how we are going to look at how we um, how we compare ourselves to others, and how we look at how decisions can guide us to healing or to ruination. So I just want to make the disclaimer before I speak that I am not a therapist nor a counselor. I am just a fellow traveler on the path to healing. So let's get into it. Okay, so I got through the first podcast using the 80-20 rule. And this rule is really helping me. Um, and And I will discuss this in another podcast, the 80-20 rule as it pertains to post-traumatic stress disorder. So last podcast, I spoke about the context by which post-traumatic stress disorder occurs. I also want to invite anyone to share their thoughts on this subject in in any commentary section you may find this podcast. Um, We do sharpen each other and bear each other's burdens, so to speak. And this is my way to contribute to the healing. So we discussed Jordan Peterson's very apt definition of post-traumatic stress disorder, but we disagreed with his method of dealing with it. His definition was that post-traumatic stress disorder often occurs when one is confronted or has an encounter with malevolence. And malevolence was further implicitly defined within the Christian context of being something that is evil. To go further, the Orthodox faith defines evil as a lack of something that is being without God. It is the absence of God. Evil is not a person, it's the absence of God. So how does one reconcile the fact that every human being Every human being, no matter what color they are, what nationality, what ethnicity, they are made in the image of God. What an honor and also what a responsibility that in order to perfect the image in the human being, one must also strive to be like God in behavior. But to be without God, one is capable of such atrocities to oneself and to others. But then we're taught about the spark of Christ that is in every human being until they die, which leads me to wonder if we have God's grace guiding us, then God's grace acts like a breathing that feeds oxygen to the spark of light within us and protecting it. But if we turn away from God's grace, we get a cool wind that attempts to extinguish the little spark that persists in us. 
if we understand that our society is sick in its reasonings, even its logic, and we understand that to heal in such a world is pretty much impossible, what do we do? What can we do? Avoidance is one of the responses of post-traumatic stress disorder. You avoid situations and people who are similar to the situations and the people who violated you. But man is a social being. Peterson speaks of awakening one's inner monster to deal with the potentiality of meeting with the perpetrators of violence. And that was where I departed from Peterson's understanding of dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder. A saint in our church, Saint Philaret of Moscow, he says something absolutely different and counterintuitive. But to get back to Peterson, and I think he is right about this part where he talks about dealing with the grief of having been abused, violated, betrayed, has stages. And the four stages are, the four stages are, they are enduring the suffering of being violated as, as it is happening and afterward. Two, you become embittered. Three, you become resentful. And four, you start to cultivate a desire for revenge. Now, what is interesting about this is that Friedrich, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, Friedrich or Friedrich Nischke, and I always say Nischke, you know, a lot of people say Nischke, celebrates these steps as a way to overcome oppression or read another way, class oppression. And you can see that many political justifications for chaos, chaos, sorry, and mayhem, in fact, people all the time justify violence as recompense for injustice. As I said in my last podcast, I disagree with Peterson that I must become a monster in order to repel the monster. And St. George the Great Martyr, he demonstrates and shows what an immeasurable thing it is to become healed and to not become the monster in order to slay the monster. One of the things I found out in rereading the life of St. George was that his, his own father was martyred by the very society that he lived in. And yet St. George grew up to become one of the, um, a great commander in the armies of the emperor at the time, Diocletian. But he was able to withstand and hold on to his values. In my personal life, I made a promise to never do anything to another human being that was done to me. I promised to seek healing. I promised to understand the times that one is living with and not to be pulled into false realities. I promised never to let my heart become hard. I promised to learn to manage myself. <laughs> And I learned through time what the last promise meant. All these things I promised, but it took nearly a lifetime to get to the place where I could begin. But along with these promises was desperate and passionate ambition to drive, to succeed, 
as if my very life depended on it. I used to call it my life instinct after having read Freud. Just as I understood that the world was not well and somehow even understood that it was in its last throes, I knew that I was not well either, that I had been wounded spiritually, psychologically, relationally, but I also desperately wanted healing from this so that I could thrive in society. I wanted to thrive in this very, very sick world. I wanted to become one of the beautiful people. I mentioned in the last podcast that there are many ways one can take revenge on one's abuser. This was my form of revenge, but I was like a powerless princess in a tower, locked away, unable to act except in the many dreams and fantasies in her head. When I see people who have successfully overcome their wounds, I always wonder how they did it and why I could not. Normal social situations would cause me to disassociate and I would not be able to function either at work or at other people's places. Even the way I dress is a form of disassociation. It's me trying to self-isolate. I was just paralyzed. I wish I could describe it. The best I could do is to say that it was like being in syrup and trying to swim to shore, knowing that on the shore were ghosts waiting to eat you up. Being the stranger was to be a being in constant danger. Yet other people have made it, had joined the world that I thought in of itself was not well and they were thriving. And not only that, they were models of success. Why couldn't I? The fact that I did not trust the world at all, at all, made it hard for me to want to fully participate in it. But it was a dilemma. Remember the story of the king who saw the world and realized his subjects had become mad? And so he drank from the well in order to be like his subjects. I used to ask myself if he or his subjects could then be considered insane. In other words, I posit the question, what is insanity? And yet suppose instead of drinking the Kool-Aid, he went on a quest to find the cure for this madness. Was this a compassionate king or simply a lazy king or perhaps even a, a paralyzed king? And yet, I didn't know that I had to seek healing first in my life. I had to make it a priority above all things. I did. I went on my walk about my quest to find this healing because it was impressive to me that this healing and only this healing would be the portal by which I would be able to fulfill my potential as a human being. That was the way I understood it. I was 12 years old when I realized this. It took a few decades to actually find the path I was looking for, but that path made surprising demands on me. And that my friend is the subject of the next podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next week.